BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna. It's the big match preview. We're looking ahead to the visit of Brighton and Hove Albion to the Emirates Stadium this weekend. And what a game it promises to be. It's not always been a good fixture for Arsenal, particularly under Mikel Arteta. We'll get into uh, some of the history of it a little bit later on. We'll also talk you through the lineup that I'd like to see selected. We'll also talk you through what we can expect to see from Roberto De Zerbi's side as well, who, of course, qualified as group winners uh, last night from their Europa League group, their first time in the competition, of course. And uh, Joao Pedro's late goal saw to it that they beat Marseille to pit them to top spot in the group. So they're on a high. They'll be absolutely buzzing. Arsenal, on the other hand, come into this, of course, off the back of that disappointing result at Villa Park. It was an okay performance, I think, from Mikel Arteta's Gunners. I think we can all agree on that. Um, But can they pick themselves up again? Can they dust themselves off from that disappointment and go again in the Premier League? I think Tuesday night's game out in Eindhoven, obviously a dead rubber, turned out to be a bit of a damp squib in terms of what the game produced. Um, And so I think it's really, really difficult actually to make any judgments based on that or to talk about any momentum that we may or may not have Um, gained from that game. I just think it's one that you just need to park to one side and essentially ignore, really, when trying to figure out how uh, this game on Sunday might go. Let me say a few hellos and then we'll dive right into it. Uh, We've got plenty to come on this show. Uh, We're going to preview the game, of course, in detail. We're going to touch on Thomas Partey because there were some videos and images circulating yesterday of him apparently stepping up his recovery. Some are suggesting that he might even be available for the game against Brighton this weekend. Now, there were rumours previously that Liverpool away, which is on the 23rd, was, of course, the target. But we'll have to wait and see if Thomas Partey is a little bit ahead of schedule. What I will say is this. One, you never want to rush Thomas Partey because of his injury record. That always rings alarm bells for me, this idea of forcing him back. We've got Declan Rice now, so the the need for Thomas Partey is an urgent one because he's a great player and he adds a incredible layer to our squad. And I think, you know, in some facets, in some aspects, I know some people would disagree with this, I think he's actually more effective than Declan Rice. But the other thing is as well, although Mikel Arteta is scheduled to, of course, face the media early this afternoon ahead of this game. And I'm sure that'll be one of the questions put to him. Mikel Arteta doesn't give you answers, really, does he? Um, he's quite good at dancing his way around those types of questions. He didn't say anything about Emil Smith-Rowe's 
return. And there he was back in training the day before PSV and even got on the pitch uh, right at the latter stages of that game as well. So, yeah, you can't really read too much into Arteta's press conferences, which is why, as I always say, I'm quite happy, actually, to do these previews sometimes if it works out better, even before he has faced the media. Um, We're also going to bring you, of course, a little bit later on the quiz question. Uh, that you need to answer and all the details about how you enter uh, for our Christmas giveaway. As I mentioned yesterday, I'm going to be giving away a £75 Amazon voucher to one lucky listener to say thanks uh, for your support over the course of the year. Um, And as I mentioned yesterday, I know that Christmas can be a really stressful time. So if I can help someone uh, with that, ease the burden a little bit of the Christmas shopping and all the rest of it, then um, I'm more than happy uh, to do that, of course. Let's say a few hellos then. Uh, We've got Matt joining us from Chicago. We've got Nav. We've got... um, We've got... uh, uh, We've got Rob, who's um, back from uh, taking his dog to the vet. Um says that uh, his dog's been unwell um, and has had some some cancer removed. Well, I hope the dog's well, mate. Um, wishing you and, and the dog all the best, of course. And I hope um, the dog makes a full recovery, of course. I know how attached people can get uh, to pets. I remember sort of living at my mum and dad's house growing up. And I remember sort of the last few years just before I left, my parents got a dog. Um, they named it Thierry after the great Arsenal legend Thierry Henry. And I must admit at the time I was a bit like, oh, this is a headache. This is a hassle. This is not what I need. And I certainly wasn't impressed when I came home one day to find that he chewed up the uh, the uh, analog sticks on my PlayStation controls. I was fuming. I was livid. But when he passed away, what, two, three years ago, I must say, it hit me quite hard. And, you know, I didn't think it ever would. So you can become quite attached to pets and and they are a big part of our life. So um, wish you uh, wish you all the best. Uh, Adam says, uh, finally managing to tune in live on the way to Bristol for a work here. And love the work you do, Harry. Keep it up. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, safe travels. And um, yeah, have a good one. Uh, what else have we got? Afsar points out that um, the Brighton are a bogey team. They are. Uh, they are a bogey team for Arsenal in recent years, indeed. Uh, big hello to Mohammed as well. Hope you're all well, mate. Hope your uh, family are all good as well. Hope everything's okay uh, where you are. Big hello to Norman, who joins us from Kingston in Jamaica. We've got Leo, we've got Christoph, we've got Mafia Boss, and we've got G. Abe, who says, no Thomas, no Partey. And we've also got Delisu in the chat, Richie, loads of you with us. Um, but if I don't stop saying hellos at some point, that's all we'll do for the next 45 minutes. So let's dive into today's content then. Arsenal welcome Brighton to Emirates Stadium on Sunday. It's a 2 p.m. kickoff, probably the worst kickoff time um, on a Sunday, I always think, because it's just a little bit flat, isn't it, sometimes? Um, I, I, mind you, I guess 2 p.m. is not that bad. We have in the past seen games, for example, derbies and stuff that they've wanted to keep nice and early in the Premier League kickoff at like midday, which is a nonsense on a Sunday. You know, we talk about the 12.30 kickoffs on a Saturday lacking atmosphere. On a Sunday, you could argue that they're even worse. So two o'clock is not great in my opinion, but it is, I guess, a bit better. Um, It does mean that I get home earlier. It does mean that I get to record the podcast on the same night, hopefully. So I guess those are the pros. Um, The cons are that on a Sunday when you want to be lounging around in the, the morning, and uh, having your breakfast and not really rushing about, probably will be rushing about to get down to Emirates Stadium nice and early to cover the game for BBC Radio London. But anyway, without further ado, let's dive into this episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. (laughs) 
Okay, before we preview the Brighton game, I just want to point you in the direction of a bonus edition of the podcast that we released last night. Uh, when the news broke that Mikel Arteta had been cleared of his FA charges, I felt that I wanted to jump on and discuss it straight away. And so we did exactly that. We broke down the 37-page document for you, all the highlights um, of it, uh, explained, discussed. You guys contributed brilliantly as well in the live chat about that. And uh, that's the last video and the last podcast episode on the feed if you haven't checked that out already. We're not going to be talking about that today. Uh, so if you do want my thoughts and my take on that, then that's the place to go. But anyway, let's dive into it. Brighton are at Arsenal this weekend. Let's start off with our statistical preview. Um, if you look at the head-to-head -head between these two sides, it is a very short Premier League history, really, when you think about it. You know, Brighton were down in the lower divisions for a, a long time. Um, and they've only been in the Premier League for, what, six years now, something like that. Um, six, seven years, I'm guessing. And you kind of look at the head-to-head -head record between them and us, and it's quite alarming, actually, from an Arsenal point of view. There are very few clubs in the Premier League that you look at the head-to-head -head with Arsenal and they come out on top. Brighton and Hove Albion are one of those. And when you think about how small the sample size is, it's wild, isn't it? 12 games between Brighton and Arsenal in the Premier League since their promotion. The Gunners have won on four occasions. There have been three draws and there have been five Brighton wins, three of which came away from home. And that's the big concern for me. They seem to be a side that have got this knack of coming to Emirates Stadium and causing us problems and causing us issues. So uh, that's how the head-to-head -head record looks. It's slightly um, set in Brighton's favour, which again is a reminder, and I say this every week, you shouldn't take any Premier League game lightly, but this is a reminder of the fact that Brighton, as an opponent, have been able to lay gloves on us more than once, and they're a side that we should be very, very wary and mindful of going into the weekend's game. If you look at the recent meetings between the two sides, only two wins for Arsenal in the last five. If you go back to the 14th of May uh, earlier this year, this was the game that for me was the final nail in the coffin for the Premier League title charge. I remember sort of coming away from that one incredibly deflated. I think we all felt that it was getting away from us prior to that period, prior to that point. But just that day for me was just like, oh, I remember, I think, that I titled the podcast after that game, sort of where do we go from here? Because just emotionally, I didn't know where to go with it. Um, I was upset. I was deflated. I was downbeat. I kind of knew, as I said, from prior to that, that the title was slipping away from us. But that was the point for me where any hope that I had had just completely evaporated and disappeared into, into nothingness. Um, so they beat us 3-0 at the Emirates that day. If you go back to the 31st of December, which was the away fixture, I was at this game at the Amex Stadium. I remember sort of breaking it to my wife that I was going Brighton away, 5.30 kickoff on New Year's Eve. I think I got home about 20 past 11. So I just about made uh, the New Year celebration. Um, but it was a, a worthwhile trip that day because Arsenal were 4-2 winners. Again, Brighton gave us a tough game. The score didn't really reflect the way that the game went, but Arsenal were very good going forward, very good in the first half, very clinical. And they caught Brighton on the break on a couple of occasions in the second half when Brighton were in, were coming out and searching for, for goals to find their way back in the game. Go back to the 9th of April, back end of the season before um, 
you know, again, you're talking about a disappointing result for Arsenal at Emirates Stadium against Brighton. And this time it was our top four hopes that took a dent. You go back to the 2nd of October 2021, um, which was the reverse fixture that season, a nil-nil draw at the Amex. And you go back even further to the 23rd of May and you will find an Arsenal victory there, a 2-0 win over Brighton that day. So look, they're a side that have got like some kind of jinx over us, basically. I don't know how else to put it. They're a side that we struggle with traditionally. That goes back to sort of the Graham Potter days as well. Uh, Roberto De Zerbi, I think, has taken Brighton to another level. I think he's taken them up to a higher point than uh, Graham Potter did. I think people look at their season so far and they think, well, maybe Brighton have gone off of it a little bit. And I actually think that that's a result of them having to balance European and domestic football. I always thought that there was going to be a bit of a tail off in terms of their league form as a consequence and as a result of that. But tactically, I think they're far more sophisticated. I think he's been able to rotate his team really, really well um, without losing that cutting edge. But they do have weaknesses. They do have flaws. And we'll come on to those a little bit later on when we talk about what we can expect from Roberto De Zerbi's side. If you look at the form guide in recent weeks, um, Arsenal, of course, in much better form going into this one. We've won four of our last five. That defeat at Aston Villa, uh, putting a halt to what was a really good run for Arsenal. OK, we beat Burnley, Brentford, Wolves and Luton, all sides that we should be beating. Um, but, you know, Arsenal were on a bit of a roll and were threatening to open up a bit of a lead at the top of the division. Of course, with the defeat against Aston Villa and and sort of Liverpool getting that late winner at Crystal Palace, things look a little bit different now, but we're still within touching distance. And generally, despite what happened at Villa, um, we've been we've been in good form. The two defeats that we've suffered in the Premier League this season have both come under controversial circumstances. And I'm not saying that that's an excuse or a reason to kind of dismiss the fact that we lost those games. But I think, you know, we went to Newcastle. I thought we performed really, really well, particularly defensively. We would have got a point. We should have got a point against Aston Villa as well, based on the performance at the absolute minimum, if not more. So you think that we're going to these places and we're performing and we're turning up. We're showing ourselves to be defensively sound. We limited Aston Villa. have been breathtaking going forward in recent weeks to very, very little last weekend. Unfortunately, we didn't get the result. What we need to be working on is making it so that we're not relying on the finest of margins to get these results. Um, that's that's the, the bit of work that Arsenal have to do uh, to kind of improve. But I think although we lost at Villa last weekend, I'm not massively concerned by the performance that I saw. So it doesn't really change the way that I'm feeling going into this game. I'll, I'll always be wary of Brighton because of what they've done to us in recent years and because of how much I rate not just the players they have, but also Roberto De Zerbi as a coach. Been a bit of a mixed bag, though, for them uh, over the course of their last five games. Two wins, two draws and a defeat. The defeat was a late defeat at Chelsea, a game that you could argue they deserve to get something out of. Um, but they have been frustrated by both Sheffield United and Burnley at home in their last five games. Roberto De Zerbi, speaking after the Burnley game last weekend, said, look, We've got an opportunity to go on and become a big team, but we're not quite there yet. And he was referring to the fact um, that they dropped points in the game against Burnley, in the game against Sheffield United. So he knows that there's room for improvement still. And he was very kind of open uh, about saying that um, around uh, sort of the full time we saw against Burnley last weekend, where he was clearly disappointed. Look, Brighton will be on a bit of a buzz and on a bit of a high because of, as I mentioned last night, what they were able to achieve, qualified for the next stages of the Europa League, which they'd already done going into the game, 
but they've now secured top spot, which means they skip the round of 32, which I think is welcome for any manager that is dealing with the scheduling issues that Premier League clubs have around this time of the year. And of course, going into the new year, it doesn't really let up much, does it? So um, Roberto De Zerbi's side will be on a high as a result of that. Joao Pedro was the one that got the goal and he's been an irresistible form. And we'll talk about him a little bit later on as well when we discuss what we can expect from them. So, Roberto De Zerbi's Brighton. What are they going to bring to the table this coming Sunday? Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Well, here's a look at the side that they named against Burnley. Now, the reason I've not paid really too much attention to Roberto De Zerbi's team selection is because it can change so often. It can change so frequently. Um, and, and rotation is certainly something that he is big on and something that he's been able to do really, really effectively. This was the side that played Burnley. So it was Verbruggen in goal, Pascal Gross, Van Heck, Dunk and Milner were the back four. Um, Baiba and Dahoud played in midfield um, with Adingra, Lalana, and Joao Pedro in support of Evan Ferguson up front. Now, if I bring up the team uh, that played for them, uh, last night, bear with me a second. Hold on. I should have had this ready. I should have had this at my fingertips. I did, but then I decided to start scrolling away from what I was looking at. So now I've got to find it again. Bear with me a second. Um, of course the app takes ages to load on the day that I need it to, or at the time that I need it to be that little bit faster. Right. Here we go. Brighton one, Marseille, Neil Joao Pedro's 88th minute winner at uh, the difference between the two sides. If I look at, Brighton's lineup then 
Steele was in goal instead of a Bruggen. Um, a lad called Hinshawood played at right back. Uh, Van Heck and Dunk were the centre-backs. Dos Santos played at left back rather than Milner. Um, Gilmore and Gross were the midfield. Adingra played. Uh, Buonanotte played instead of Lalana. Mitoma played. João Pedro played. And Evan Ferguson didn't. So what you see with, with Brighton is this ability to rotate and this ability to shuffle the pack. And what Roberto De Zerbi has um, is is not just depth, but alternative options. You've got different types of midfielders that he can call upon. And that's what makes them a really interesting side. You know, you've got Billy Gilmore, who I think is great at getting on the ball in deeper positions and, and starting moves from there. You've got people like Dahoud, who I think is a really good player technically, but has that bit more steel about him as well. You know, you talk about people like Adam Lalana, very, very technical, very, very good player. Karu Mitoma is certainly more of a natural wide player than Joao Pedro, for example. So do you see what I'm trying to say? I, I think that what Roberto De Zerbi has is an array of options. And I am fascinated to see how he's going to approach this game. I'm not going to sit here and try and predict the 11 that he's going to pick because I'm not educated enough, A, on Brighton and Hove Albion um, and B, on football in general, to be able to kind of guess that. I think that's one of the special things about this Brighton side is that they've been able um, to, to spring surprises on people um, tactically, they're very, very versatile, and, and that is something we've got to be wary of. I do think that even though they're a side that love to play on the front foot, that love to attack, that love to have the lion's share of possession, you will see Roberto De Zerbi accept that they're probably going to be second best for large periods of the game. And I think you you will see Roberto De Zerbi just kind of shake it up a little bit in terms of how they uh, approach finding that balance between attack and defence. Now, Roberto De Zerbi's sides are notoriously very attack-minded. It's why people say he's the most un-Italian Italian coach in the game, because a lot of the principles that we, over the years, have come to associate with, um, you know, with, uh, with sort of Italian coaches, they don't apply to Roberto De Zerbi's sides generally, but he has had that education. He does understand that side of the game. And I expect Brighton that although they'll want to, um, you know, they'll want to push on and they'll want to cause us problems. I expect them to know that they're going to have to defend for various periods of the game. And, and I think they'll be set up in a, an effective way to do that. They have scored and conceded in each of their last 20 Premier League games. So you can look at that stat in two ways. Great, Brighton always get on the score sheet, clearly have an attacking threat, very, very good going forward. But the fact that they've conceded in each of their last 20 games as well probably rings alarm bells. And so I'd back Arsenal to score here. Um, the question is, will we score enough and will we be able to keep the clean sheet that we'll need um, or, or concede as least goals as required in order for our goals to be enough to win the game? That's that's the interesting thing here for me. I think this is going to be at times a bit of a ding dong. Um, and it's one of those games where I think if you can go out and you can start well, it makes the world of difference. If you can go out and you can get an early goal in the first 15 to 20 minutes, very often managers are forced to rip up their game plan. Often they arrive at Emirates Stadium with a game plan of let's frustrate Arsenal. Let's try and hang in the game as long as possible. And as they start to take more risks to come forward, we can potentially capitalise on the spaces left and on the gaps in behind. I think if you score the goal early from an Arsenal point of view, it does then force them to come out, which leaves spaces for you. And I think at times we face low blocks. It's almost become um, a breath of fresh air when we face teams that come out against us. 
Brighton won't be like Burnley were. They won't be like Wolves were in terms of how deep they sit, I don't think. But they'll also be a lot deeper and a lot more focused on the defensive side of the game than they probably would be in 99% of their other fixtures. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see which balance it is that, that Roberto De Zerbi feels is the right balance for a game like this. I've also put a point on the slide uh, talking about how goals are spread across the team. And I think this is really, really interesting. Now, I think this comes naturally when you rotate. If the same players aren't always on the pitch, then you're going to rely on other people stepping up and being goal scorers. But you look through that list of players. Joao Pedro has got 11 goals in all competitions um, this season. 11 goals in 23 appearances. That's really, really good. Evan Ferguson has got six in his 20 appearances. Simon Adingra um, has got five. Pascal Gross has got four. Ansu Fati's got four. Karu Mitoma uh, has got three. Solly March has got three. The point I'm trying to make here is that there's no one standout goal threat really for Brighton. I know that you'd look at Joao Pedro. I think there's been a few penalties in there in European competition, which have maybe stat padded for him a little bit. But the point I'm trying to make here is that there's so many options for Roberto De Zerbi that he can rotate without really worrying about it taking away his goal threat. But also from an Arsenal perspective, we can ill afford to leave anybody really in space, give anybody more space than they need. Um, uh, because if we do, we'll be punished and Brighton can punish you from all sorts of different areas of the pitch. So I thought, of course, that was worth highlighting. My starting 11 then uh, for the game against Brighton would be as follows. David Raya would return in goal. He's clearly Arsenal's number one. If he was going to be dropped, it would have been after Luton, um, where he made two really, really obvious errors. Um, he wasn't dropped. He played at Aston Villa, and I think he's going to continue um, playing uh, in, in between the posts for Arsenal in the Premier League going forward. My back four would be made up of Ben White, William Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. Uh, assuming that all of those guys are fit. My midfield would be Rice, Odegaard and Havertz, two of whom, of course, didn't start the game um, in Eindhoven the other night. Kai Havertz did. The other two came on a little bit later on. Um, I expect them to play, uh, really. I do, um, because we're going to have a good uh, few days before that trip to Anfield, so why not? My two wide players would be Saka and Martinelli. I, I love Leandro Trossard. I think he's a great player, but whenever he starts, I'm just not as convinced by him as I am when he comes off the bench. And I don't know what I put that down to really. Um, but Martinelli, who I would argue hasn't been at his absolute best this season, is someone that can really, really cause people problems with his directness, with his pace, with his drive, with the fact that he just always wants to take people on. I don't think it's quite click for him, as I say, just yet this season, but he's always a threat. And he stretches teams brilliantly. So I'd love to see him, of course, start on the left with Gabby Jesus, who came on for the last couple of minutes out in Eindhoven, uh, brings so much to the team. Lots of criticism recently for him with regards to the number of Premier League goals he scored. But I think he makes everybody around him tick. And he, he's a brilliant, brilliant footballer. And you'd rather have him in the team than not. My prediction then is Arsenal 2, Brighton and Hove Albion nil. That's what I'm going to go for. Um, obviously, I'm being quite optimistic here in terms of predicting Brighton not to score. But I think our defence, generally speaking, has been really, really good. I think we found a better balance this season with the exception of a couple of anomalies, i.e. the Luton game, for example. I think we'll be OK defensively um, as long as everybody's concentrated and everybody's fit. And I think that eventually our possession will pay 
and we will get the breakthrough. And uh, hopefully we add a second to that as well to make it just a little bit more comfortable. So that's my prediction for this one. Um, Stephen says, Harry, have you asked the question yet? Referring to the question that you guys need to answer uh, to be in with a shout of winning the £75 Amazon voucher for our Christmas giveaway. I haven't asked it yet, but we're getting to that very, very shortly. Um, let's, uh, in fact, let's do it now. The quiz question. Get ready, everybody. Get ready. What was impressive about Dennis Burkamp's goal of the month win in August 1997? Dennis Burkamp won the goal of the month competition in August 1997. But what was special? What was particularly impressive about this win rather than it just being your standard, I've won the goal of the month competition? happy days, give me my little trophy and that's it. There was something very, very special about this. Now, if you can give me the correct answer, you will go into the draw for the £75 voucher and we will announce the winner on Monday's episode of the podcast. So you've got the whole weekend to do this. You need to email your answer to chroniclesafc at gmail.com. Email me the answer. If it's the correct answer, you'll be put into the draw. If it's a wrong answer, you won't go into the draw. Um, so I need you to tell me what was so impressive about Dennis Burkamp's goal of the month win in August 1997. We're going back a little bit, but if you know your Arsenal history, um, this was something that I'm sure you'd have come across. And if you're of a certain age like me, I'm sure you'll remember this as well. So um, yeah, that's the question. Email me your answers to chroniclesafc at gmail.com to enter the prize draw. I'll repeat the question one more time. What was impressive about Dennis Burkamp's goal of the month win in August 1997? There you go. Okay. I've given you my prediction. I've given you the lineup that I'd like to see. I've given you everything basically that you're going to get from me ahead of this game. Um, I want you guys to uh, fill up the chat box with some of your questions now for the last few minutes of the show. By the way, if you know the answer to the question, don't put it in the chat because the more people answer it correctly, the less chance you have of winning the prize draw. So you're better off keeping it zipped, keeping it to yourself if you know the answer. Email me. it. The reason I wanted it on email is because it's discreet and nobody's going to see your answers. So don't put it in the chat box because you'll be reducing your chances of winning. So that would make no sense. Anyway, Q&A uh, for the last few minutes of the episode. We'll do that right after this very, very short pause. Don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video if you're watching us on YouTube. If you're listening to us on audio, please do leave us a review. That really, really does help. Uh, we crossed 500 reviews on Spotify, uh, which is amazing. Um, really, really good stuff. Uh, we had some really good interaction and engagement on yesterday's episodes. Uh, both of them, check them out if you haven't done so already. Um, yeah, just just really loving the interaction and the support, guys. It, it, it honestly means the world to me. So thank you so, so much uh, for that. Okay, um, let's go over to the chat box then and see what you guys are saying. Um, Mickey Morris says, good morning, Harry. Good morning, sir. What would the midfield lineup be when Partey is back in contention? Hmm. So for me, this has been quite, quite straightforward throughout the duration of the season. And I would have been picking this team every week if I could. The problem is that we haven't had 
the availability to do so. But for me, the midfield trio would be Partey at the base, Rice to the left and Odegaard to the right. Now, Kai Havertz has been really, really impressive in recent weeks and you finally get the impression that he's finding his feet at Arsenal Football Club. But I would use him as a, a squad option. He'd come off the bench when we need a goal. He'd come on and give Martin Odegaard a breather at times. He'd be used as a makeshift centre forward at times. I think that's what Kai Havertz is to me. Um, I think there are games where, particularly given you probably want to protect Thomas Partey, where I'm quite happy for Rice to hold that midfield alone with Havertz and Odegaard in the same team. But there are games, particularly away from home, where I probably don't want to see that. So if I was trying to think of an all-purpose perfect midfield for Arsenal with the options that we have when everybody's fit and available, it would be Partey, Rice and Odegaard for me. Um, that's 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 my opinion. That's my opinion. Um, Delisu just commenting on... Um, on, of course, Brighton's season so far. He says, with Brighton being involved in Europe this season, they've had a bit of a stop-start season. They have. No doubt about that. But I think anybody who um, has been through that rigour of having to play Europe Thursday, Premier League Sunday, and all the rest of it, as we have in recent years, particularly um, because we were absent from you know the, the Champions League for such a long time, you understand it, don't you? You understand how it can impact momentum. And I think... For, for clubs like Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool, when we've been in those competitions in recent seasons, we've more often than not had a big enough squad to be able to go, OK, I can play a totally different eleven, or I can make seven or eight changes for those midweek games, which then has a lesser impact when you're playing at the weekend. I've talked about Brighton's ability to rotate and the options that they have, but they don't have the same level of depth as some of the big boys. Um, and, and obviously it was going to have some kind of impact on their performance. So um, yeah, you're right to point that out. And I think uh, what I've seen from them this season was to be expected, really. Um, Fuad says, Harry, who's your top choice at central midfield in January? To be honest, mate, I'm not really sure at this moment in time. Um, I've got a content idea that I'm going to do next week, which is going to be uh, basically what I want for Christmas for an Arsenal point of view. Um, so we can... Um, we can go into that in a little bit more detail and I'll bring you detailed breakdowns of the players that I pick and and basically why. Um, so that will be a piece of content coming. I couldn't answer that right now off the top of my head because I do want to do a bit more digging um, on that one before uh, we, of course, uh, move forward. Um, Afsar says dropping Havertz won't be a good idea, to be honest. Well, I think right now, you know, he is someone that is performing really well. He's been one of our best players in recent weeks. I'm not saying drop the guy, just drop him like a stone Aaron Ramsdale style and forget that he even existed or anything like that when Partey comes back. I think Partey is someone that we have to accept as a football club. We have to manage in a very careful way. And so there will be plenty of opportunity still for Kai Havertz to play football. I just think, for example, you know, you think about the biggest games of the season, you think about the trips to Anfield, the trips to Old Trafford, those types of things, um, to Spurs, whatever. I would in an ideal world, pick a midfield that contains both Partey and Rice. We haven't really got to have a look at how that's been, uh, how that can work because it's not been something that we've had the option of doing anywhere near often enough. So, yeah, um, I, I'm not saying drop him, but, you know, I think he'd be the one that would have to make way, really. It would either be him or Odegaard. And I guess you could base that on current form because I think Odegaard's form has been a bit up and down so far this season. Uh, 11.11 says, how good is it that we don't mention the name Balogun? 
no word of a lie. When I was dropping my kid to school, not yesterday, the day before, and I was walking back by myself, I thought about following Balogun. I've got no idea why. I've got no idea why. It just came to my head. And I thought, yeah, it's been a bit quiet, hasn't it, on the Balogun front? Um, a player that we, of course, sold in the summer. Lots of Arsenal fans were upset that we sold him. I think the money that we got in the end was pretty good. Um, and I looked at his record off the back of having that thought myself. And I'm pretty sure that he's got four league and goals um, in 12 appearances so far this season. So it's one in three. It's not bad. Um, you know, it's not it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not outstanding for me to be sitting there going, oh my God, I'm, I'm ruining the decision to let him go. I think he got three of those goals in the first five games as well of the season. So it's just eased off a little bit for following Balogun. Still a good player, still a very good player at Liga and level. I think he proved that during his most recent loan spell. But am I too disappointed or upset about the fact that we let him go? Not really, not really. Um, lots of you asking me about my midfield targets. I will, um, I promise you, we'll be bringing you a piece of content next week uh, around that. Um, AFC is asking me what I think we need to do in the summer and who, and who would I bring in? Again, I'm not going to go as specific as coming up with names because I think, you know, we can do that a little bit later down the line in a lot more detail and, and do it from a much more educated position. But, you know, I think we're going to go out and get a big time striker. I think that will be something that we prioritize come the summer. Don't think you'll see it in January. Um, I think January is generally going to be about stop gaps and maybe filling holes in the squad that we think might essentially prevent us from going on and achieving what we're hoping to. Um, but yeah, that's, um, that's where I'm at on that. But striker is the one that I think of first and foremost, when I look ahead to uh, the summer. Um, do, do, do. Afsar says moon the likes. Yes, please do. Please do. Uh, Louis says, how many points do you think we'll get from these next couple of games? Do you think we can finally get a win at Anfield? So I said that going into the Villa game that I wanted five from Villa, Brighton and Liverpool. So three from Brighton and two draws away from home. I'd be content with that. We can't obviously um, get five now unless we go and win at Anfield. So that feels a little bit unrealistic. I'd take a draw at Anfield all day long, but we need to beat. Brighton and Hove Albion. So four points would be something that I'd be content with. Any more than that would be would be great. Um, Matt Tomo says, which missed transfer target from the past few years do you wish we had successfully brought in? <laughs> this is um this is a really, really interesting question, this, because there's been a lot of players that we've been linked with. I mean, I remember at the time being quite Disappointed that we couldn't get the Caicedo deal done last January, but also the more I thought about it and the higher the price went, the more I thought maybe this is one that we should have stayed clear of. Um, I didn't think that we should pay the money that was being talked about for Mikhailo Mudrik either. If you go back a few years, because I think you probably need to for me to come up with an answer here, N'Golo Kante was one of them. I mean, he was transformational, not just for Leicester City, but for Chelsea as well. Uh, for a period of time. Okay, it ran its course because he started picking up injuries way too frequently and now he's over in Saudi Arabia playing his football. But yeah, that's that's one that you feel maybe got away. Um, you know, if you want to go further back, you know, Arsene Wenger was linked with every name under the sun. He spoke to Zlatan, he spoke to Ronaldo. There's so many players, but yeah, just for me, um, 
for me. Uh, N'Golo Kante is one that jumps out to me. Uh, Robert Field, just going back to the Balogun point, says four goals for Balogun is two more goals than Martinelli and Jesus have scored. But hey ho, that's that's not the point though, is it? Like if you put Martinelli in Liga, and I'm sure he'd score more goals than he has. If you put Jesus there, I'm sure he'd score more goals than he has. The point I'm trying to make is that I don't look at following Balogun and think, man, we made a big mistake there. I think we did well to get what we got for him, given that he played a handful of games for the Arsenal. Um, he showed what he could do in Ligue 1, and we saw the benefit of sending a player to Ligue 1 because one of the Ligue 1 bigger boys then comes along and, and sweeps him uh, up and takes him for a really good, reasonable fee, I think. So I don't like this stuff of like comparing it too much because different leagues, different teams, different systems, different setups. It's far easier to score a goal in Ligue 1 than it is in the Premier League. And, you know, as a general point, we've... We've seen so many players over the years come from Ligue 1 with these immaculate goal-scoring records. I say the same about the Dutch Eredivisie as well. And this is not to be a snob or dismiss those leagues, but the football's different. The style's different. Um, you know, when you're playing in a good team in a league that, you know, they're, they're expected to find not easy, but quite, um, you know, quite comfortable, then you're going to get players that shine and those players don't always necessarily shine when they transfer over to another league where the, the competition and the challenge is, is very, very different. Uh, final one I'm going to take is from Fuad, who says, was wondering as a fellow dad of two, how do you do your Christmas shopping? Are you an online Amazon guy or an Oxford Street slash Westfield guy? I am very, very much an online guy. Um, the only place that I don't well, I do buy stuff from them online, but the only place that I actually like visiting as a shop is is the Armoury at Arsenal. I do enjoy going in and having a little browse around and buying stuff on the way to the till that I would never have bought if I didn't walk in there. So um, they're very good at roping you into spending more money, essentially. But yeah, I'm very much an online guy. What we did this year was we decided with the wife that she would take care of dealing with my daughter's stuff the stuff that we're going to get for my daughter this Christmas. And I would deal with my son um, who isn't going to listen to this. So I can tell you who I've bought um, uh, a games uh, console, a, a kind of kiddies one. It's not um, like a PlayStation five or anything like that. It's just got like loads of arcade games on it and stuff, which I know he'll love because he tries to play on my PlayStation four. And I just feel like he's a bit too young for it. He hasn't quite, grasped it yet and then he gets frustrated and then he doesn't want to play so wanted to get some more kid-friendly games um and uh and he's got a couple of arsenal kits on the way he's got the home one for this season which i hadn't got around to buying him yet and he's also got uh, the green one uh coming as well on order so uh yeah that's um that's what that's what i do i took care of the boy and my missus can take care of my daughter because i wouldn't have the first clue uh, what interests her uh, from a toys and, and sort of clothes perspective and all the rest of it or what she needs. My wife's way better positioned to do that kind of stuff. But anyway, I am going to leave it there. Thank you all so, so much for joining me on this episode of the Big Match Preview here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Reminder of my prediction, Arsenal 2, Brighton and Hove Albion nil. Let's see on Sunday evening if I'm right. I'll catch you all then. Until the next one, guys, take care. Have a great Friday and a great weekend. All the best. Goodbye.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.